I'm going to talk about what God wants from us. And we're going to look at um, some really neglected books of the Bible tonight. We're going to look at the prophets. And um, I made a little short video today. I don't know if you saw it. But on the video, I put, when I get through with the prophets in my Bible reading for the year, I kind of always go, so many times I've gone to Becky, I am so glad I am through those. Because sometimes I joined Boy Scouts back years and years ago. And um, our church didn't have the boys ministry that we have here. And so I joined Boy Scouts. And one of the things that we did on one of the first activities we had and I drove by there when I was in Georgia a few months ago. I drove by there and remembered the church that hosted Boy Scouts had a lodge and everything else back there. And they had a belt line that all the Boy Scouts went through. And what happened was all the boys lined up with a belt and you went through there and everybody smacked you with a belt. Some of you are not in your head. You must have done the same thing. I looked at that. And I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever solved. Do I really want to be a Boy Scout? <laughs> and, um, but I ran through the belt line. Everybody was high-fiving and cheering. You know, we, I got my lashes or whatever. The point I'm making is sometimes when I go through all 16 books of the prophets, I feel like I've been through the belt line because every year the Holy Spirit takes me to task on something. Every year the Holy Spirit convicts me of something. And so tonight, it's very important that we study the prophets. I have spoke to you before about um, Dr. Paul, Paul Young Cho, pastored the world's largest church. He died just a couple of weeks ago. Um, Dr. Cho, at one time, their church was 750,000 active members. Let that sink into you, 750,000 active members. To be a member of the church, you not only had to attend church, you had to be a part of a small group that you attended. You had to be a part of a prayer group. You had to be a tither to the church, and you had to share your faith with other people and bring other people to church. I mean, they really took discipleship seriously. I met Dr. Cho um, one year at the Sheraton Biltmore in Atlanta and had a conversation with him and really enjoyed his ministry. I learned a lot from him. But I was listening to Dr. Cho in that conference in Atlanta, and he talked about how God healed him of his hatred of the Japanese. During World War II, uh, the Japanese, uh, prior to all that, they treated his family savagely. He lost family members. The, the things that he described, I won't take time to describe here. But when God called him to preach, when he became a Christian, he told the Lord, he says, I will go anywhere you want me to preach except for Japan. He hated the Japanese. He hated the Japanese. I think I can illustrate that with you because he talked about how God dealt with his heart and he struggled and he struggled and he finally accepted an invitation to go to Japan and preach. And his first speaking engagement was to a conference of over a thousand Japanese pastors. He stated he was very bitter. And when he got up to speak, the first words that came out of his mouth was, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. What a way to begin a sermon. What a way to begin. And if you knew him, he wasn't a large man. He was small of stature. And I could see him now saying those words, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And in that room, 
In that ballroom at the Sheraton Biltmore in Atlanta, you could have heard a pin drop. It was so quiet. We sat there stunned. None of us had ever heard anything like this. But then he tells us that one by one, those Japanese pastors begin to get up and come and kneel down and ask Dr. Cho to forgive them for their ancestors' treatment of his family. It would be a few years later, matter of fact, it would be over a decade later, I attended a conference uh, from our, for our denomination, the Assemblies of God, and there we gathered in another city in another state, and um, as black leaders from a black denomination, the Church of God in Christ and our denomination gathered together, and there was such a moment of healing. It was such a moment of our leaders asking for forgiveness for the prejudice and the racism. Our movement began as an integrated movement, but we bowed to the culture of the day, to the racism of that culture. I have researched that at length and talked with some of those who are now in heaven that lived through that time, and, and I've learned a lot. You can't, as we talked about last week, if you will learn by watching the mistakes of others, you don't have to repeat those same mistakes. It's one of the reasons I journal like I do so that my kids can learn from my mistakes. It's one of the reasons I share what I do sometime because I want others to learn from my mistakes. It seems to me that more people seem to get blessed out of my mistakes than they do out of my successes. <laughs> Because I hear it often. Oh, it just made me feel so good that you told that you admitted that you said you go through the same thing. But what happened in Dr. Cho's life at that meeting when he concluded that sermon to those Japanese pastors at night, these words were what came out of his mouth. I love you. I love you. I love you. Never doubt that God can't do an instantaneous change in your heart if you open up to the Lord. One of the reasons that I love the prophets so much is because God is so honest with us in the prophets. Take Jonah, for instance. Jonah was an honest prophet, but he was a prejudiced prophet. You might want to put that down. Oh, I forgot to bring your outlines out tonight. So you'll have to go onto the app if you want the outline. It's on the app this evening. But Jonah was a prejudiced prophet. <clears throat> And you know the story. God calls Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites. And I'm just distracted right now. Normally, there's somebody here that gets everything out for you. I don't normally do that. And uh, so you may just have to do it the old-fashioned way, like you did before notes. And uh, I don't know where they're at if you're going to look for them. So um, you may have to do it the old-fashioned way and just take notes tonight. But God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach. And, and uh, you've got the app. Way to go. God calls Jonah to Nineveh to preach, but Jonah hates the Ninevites. He doesn't want God to be merciful to the Ninevites. So he, he gets on a boat for Tarshish, and he sails east. He wants to run away from the call of God. And so Jonah tries to run away from God. But how many of you know that even a whale can't stomach a disobedient prophet? <laughs> you know? I remember in children's church one time years ago when Becky and I were directing children's church, we asked, how many of you know the story of Jonah? And one of the little girls in the children's church says, oh, he's the one that ran around in the well till he got pooped out. 
wrong end. He got vomited out, but she basically had the, the gist of the story. But Jonah ends up, after God saves his life from drowning, he ends up and he goes and he preaches, and the people of Jonah repent. They just get down on their knees and they repent and they ask God to forgive them. The king humbles himself and gets into sackcloths and ashes. And Jonah is angry about this. The Bible says this, and I'm so sorry you don't have the notes. Those of you watching online, you've got them right there on the screen. And those of you who got the app out, you've got them. But this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. Can you imagine me getting angry about God sending revival to downriver? Can you just, I can't imagine that, you know, but so he complained to the Lord. He said, didn't I tell you before I left home that, that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. In other words, I want these people to go to hell. I want them to burn. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. I mean, isn't that what we want? From, I mean, that's what we love about our God. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's just. He's forgiving. And Jonah, instead of being happy about it, he says, just kill me now. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And then the Lord said to him, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? You know, James Thurber once said, we have to know what we're running away from, but we also have to know what we're running to. Think about that. What are the things that we run away from in life, and why are we running away from them? But what are the things that we're running towards? What are the things that we're running to? There are numbers of you in here tonight, and maybe some of you online, I, I pray with you over certain prayer requests that you have shared with me. I was praying for one of your requests today and just, just praying and asking God. And if God answers my prayer about that, I'm going to be very happy. I'm going to be very relieved. And even while I was praying today, I was just imagining by faith that God was, had already done what I was asking him to do because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The prophets are so important, though, to keep us balanced in how we look at things. I've spoken at high school commencements and college commencements and baccalaureates. There's a common theme to all of those, and you're wanting to help young people and young adults as they begin. You're wanting to help them pursue their vision in life. You want to help them know that despite the challenges of whatever generation they're growing up in and they're graduating in, and I've lived long enough to see several generations of that. You want them to know you can be successful, but you've got to pursue, you've got to work. But one of the questions that I was recently struck by something I read from David Brooks, he's a columnist for the New York Times. Brooks said this, he says, we need to be asking our young people, not what do they want from life, but what is life asking from me? Not what do they want from life, but what is life asking from me? And that might be a good question for each of us to consider tonight. What is the generation that we're living in? What are these times asking of us as a church and as individuals? You see, Jonas came from his prejudice. 
He was disappointed that God was true to his character. Now we're talking about what really matters. Jonah was not happy about God being true to his character. Jonah wanted God to be true to Jonah's desires. And sometimes our desires are not what the generation we're living for and serving is. And so it's kind of like watching a Christmas story when you're a young, promising guy heading to New York to make your, your, your fortune, and then your father's bank begins to fail, and you take your honeymoon money, and you stay behind, and you help something succeed, and you never achieve your desires and your dreams. You live in a house where it's falling apart. Anybody know the movie I'm talking about? Yeah. Think about how we describe that movie. It's a wonderful life. The reason we love that movie so much is because it gives us hope that somehow or another, if we don't get everything we desire from life, God is still true to his character and our life matters to other people around us. But that can be hard when you're reading the prophets to see because the prophets are not known for subtlety and they're not known for diplomacy. The most diplomatic prophet of all was Isaiah, and then there was Daniel. Listen to what Amos said. See if you like this one. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands, bring me another drink. Mm. Can you imagine that being my Sunday morning topic? Listen to this for Isaiah. Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts and the incense of your offerings. They disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are sinful and false, and I won't know more of your pious meetings. This is rough stuff. Now you can understand what I mean about the belt line. Because when you read the prophets, they get right down to the nitty-gritty. And then in Micah, Micah says, listen, you leaders of Israel, you're supposed to know right from wrong, but you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. Yes, you eat my people's flesh and strip off their skin and break their bones, and you chop them up like meat for the cooking pot. Sometimes when I'm listening to the budget conversations and I'm listening to some of the things that were included in this budget, and I wonder, you know, you've watched those videos, I've watched those videos, why there's such a championing of chopping up babies. I mean, when I read this, why is there such a chance? How can you sit there drinking a fine Cabernet how can you sit there talking about your car and music and art while you talk about chopping up babies to sell their parts? Something has happened that has so calloused our conscience as Americans and the people who are supposed to be our leaders and our healthcare leaders, this made us callous, listen, callous to our callousness. Let me say it again because I... It struggled to get the right way to say that. It's made us callous to our callousnesses. 
that we can sit there and laugh and talk and then come and champion this as one of the great moral civil rights of America today. It's why we need the prophets. You see, number one, and you might want to write this down tonight or get it in the app later, God knew I needed the message of the prophetic books. God knew I needed all 16 of those books. God knew I needed to listen to them. If you've ever been to France, you've been to the city of Chartres, which is not far from Paris. If you've gone to Chartres and you've been to the Chartres Cathedral, you've seen the big rose window there, and all those big cathedrals have a rose window. But underneath the rose window are the four apostles, excuse me, the four gospel writers. And it's a little bit comical when you look at it, but the gospel writers are sitting on top of the shoulders of four of the prophets. And I really didn't understand it because I couldn't read French, but then as I got into looking at it, studying it, then it got me. Matthew sits on the shoulders of Isaiah. Mark sits on the shoulders of Daniel. Luke sits on the shoulders of Jeremiah. And John sits on the shoulders of Ezekiel. In other words, the, the, the stained glass artist was saying that the gospel writers were piggybacking on the, the back of those four prophets, but they could see further than the prophets could see because they were on the shoulders of the prophets. They could see further than the prophets could see. But those four prophets right there had paved the way. Isaiah is called the gospel in a nutshell. Daniel tells us of the coming of the Son of Man. And the reason they did it was because they wanted to make a serious point that I wanted to make Sunday morning. We need the whole Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is the voice of God to us. The Bible is not the authority of God. God is the authority, but the Bible contains the voice of God, which is the authority of God. And the church is not the authority. The church bows to the authority of the Word of God. And I use the illustration, if I was an ambassador, the only way if it had been, and I used Ukraine last week. If you notice, I said Ukraine and not the Ukraine. I used Ukraine last week because if I was the ambassador, then it would be my responsibility not to tell the president of Ukraine what I wanted. It would be to, to relay the message of the president of the United States to the, to, the, to the president of Ukraine, which means that my voice becomes the authority of the president as long as I'm speaking the word of God. And as a pastor and a preacher of the gospel, my voice is only authoritative as long as I'm anchoring it in the word of the Lord. And if I anchor it in the word of God, then my voice has authority. My teaching, my preaching has authority. If you anchor your parenting, your leadership in the word of God, then it has authority. In Micah 2 and verse 11, look at this. Micah says, suppose a prophet full of lies will say to you, I'll preach to you the joys of wine and alcohol. That's just the kind of prophet you would like. Recently, I was out of town on a business trip, and there, there were two men, both of them professionals in their own right, both of them very successful, and they came up because they had had a disagreement about a certain television preacher. And so they came up and wanted to know what I thought, and I told them, well, first of all, I, I really don't know anything about them. I don't watch them. They're not an influencer in my life, so 
I said, I don't criticize people that I, I don't know anything about because that wouldn't be right. And then I try not to criticize. I just try to find where we have agreement on. Of course, one of them liked it and one of them didn't like it. And then later as they both talking to me, I kind of got what the disagreement was all about. I thought about this verse of Scripture. You see, preachers that tell us what we want to hear make us comfortable. Preachers who tell us what God wants us to hear can make us uncomfortable. Okay? I've got good news for you. The good news is you don't have to live with guilt. But I also have bad news for you. We're all guilty. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there is no cleansing from that guilt unless you come through the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's the bad news and there's the good news. You can't have one without the other. You see, alcohol makes me comfortable. Prophetic preaching makes me uncomfortable. Get it? Let me say it again. Alcohol makes me, I don't know, I don't drink. So, I, you know, I've never, I think the closest I've come to being sauced was I was real sick one Sunday morning and somebody gave me two pills to take and said, you'll feel better if you take these. And I was so sick, I wasn't in my right mind. I took them and I felt great. They almost had to pull me off the platform. <laughs> I felt so good. Alcohol makes me comfortable, but prophetic preaching makes me uncomfortable because if I'm going to get the good news, I've got to get the bad news because today we're all good. There's no bad children. There's no bad parents. There's just misunderstood criminals. There's just misunderstood miscreants. There are no bad people. I've got bad news for you. We're all bad. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have the capacity to accomplish and do great good. And even the good we do can be tainted by our own self-interest. That's why Paul calls us to live for the glory of God. Sometimes I am just totally mystified by how blind we can be by choice to our own need for the message of the prophets. Now, I have learned a lot. I started reading Rabbi Abraham Heschel. He went to heaven in the 70s, but I started reading him back when I was sick, um, when I came home from Asia. Someone recommended me to, to read him about pain and suffering, and because that was such a, a dark time, I, um, I read several of his books. They've paid off immensely since that time. But let me give you two quotes from Rabbi Heschel. The shallowness of our moral comprehension, the incapacity to sense the depth of misery caused by our own failures, is a simple fact of fallen humanity which no explanation can justify or hide. Friends, that's not an evangelical preacher. That's not even a Christian saying that. That is a conservative rabbi who gets that from reading the prophets. And I think it's why sometimes people tell me, I just, I skip over the prophets. I get told two things. I skip over the book of, of um, Leviticus and I skip over the prophets. Well, we need all of those messages. Secondly, Rabbi Heschel said this. Now, this is powerful. Listen to this. The rabbi, excuse me, the prophet is a man who feels fiercely. God has thrust a burden upon his soul 
He is bowed and stunned at man's furious greed. Prophecy is the voice God has lent to the silent agony. God is raging in the prophet's words. Now, that's in the outline, and if you want to get a copy of that afterwards. God is raging in the prophet's words. Remember what I said about the Bible being the authority of God. You see, when we read the prophets and we read about the challenges that they were facing in their culture, they're the same challenges that we face in our culture today. Secondly, God still speaks through the prophetic books. It's why we need not only the the law. I talked about the law Sunday morning. We not only need the writings. We not only need the, the wisdom literature, but we need the prophets as well because God is still talking to us. When I read the lament of the prophets, it gives me words to use to admit the pain, the confusion, the struggle, the agony, the doubt, the questioning that I have in a world that's broken by sin. And I have to be frank to you, there are times when I've left a hospital where a baby, and I've held the baby in my hands, and, and the baby has been so deformed, and I listen to the parents, please, in agonies, and at that moment, I'm called upon to comfort, comfort, comfort my people and to be there and to pray and to love that baby and then go sit in the car and I lament. I question, God, why, how? The prophets give me words for that pain. And if I don't read those prophets, I'm not deep enough to know how to express those words. I'm not even holy enough to know how to, because I hear God's voice in those words because God shares our pain and God never wastes our pain. You not only hear the voice of people in pain, but you hear the voice of God in pain. But when I read the prophets well, they remind me of God's justice and his coming judgment. I read and I hear God's love of justice that we do right and we treat one another right. And as I read that, I know how to balance right from wrong. I know how to love justice. I I know what justice is because I read the prophets. I understand then how Jesus can apply the prophets because sometimes in my fallen way, I look at how the prophets should be applied and then Jesus comes along in mercy and grace. And remember what David said and what the Psalm says, mercy and justice, mercy and truth. They've met together and they've kissed. I see how that works in the life of Jesus. The prophets remind me too, have faith. I mean, because it's gritty, it's real, it's grueling in the prophets. And after we go off the air tonight, I'm just, you know, we're, I'm going to kind of run through real quickly the theme of all 16 of those prophets, prophetic books. And if you want that, if you'll email me, I'll send them to you. I'll be happy to send them to you, but it take a little while to get through that. But one thing the prophets do is they always point us to the cross. Remember how I said Sunday morning? Jesus began with the prophets and, and the law and all that was there and how they pointed to him, how they were wrote according to him. So let's look at another verse of scripture tonight. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, no. That's not what God wants. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires. This is what God is looking for. He wants you to do what is right, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, no one will ever be able to say, I didn't know what God wanted from me. Now, you may have questions about where is it God's will for me to retire? You may have questions about where is it God's will for me to live? You may have questions about who does God want me to marry? You may have questions about what kind of career or vocation does God want me to have? But no one will ever be able to say they didn't know what God wanted from them as long as the prophets are there. And that is to do these three things. God wants me to do what is right. God wants me to do what is right. Now, this is so important in our founding, the founding of our nations and for our fathers. Listen to this. Harvard, Yale, Columbia, Dartmouth, William and Mary, Brown and Princeton, all were founded for the preaching of the gospel ministry. All of them, that's their, those are what we consider our elite Ivy League schools. All of them were founded for the primary purpose to train pastors to preach the gospel. Of the first 100 universities in the United States, 88 of them were founded for the purpose of furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now think about that. 88. Some of you would have been glad to get an 88 on your high school exams. 88. On the cornerstone of Harvard University which was named after a pastor. After God had carried us safe to New England and we had built our houses, provided necessaries for our livelihood, reared convenient places for God's worship, settled the civil government, one of the next things we longed for and looked after was to advance learning and to perpetuate posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches where our present ministers shall lie in the dust. What were they saying? We want our children to have faithful preachers of the gospel when they grow up. When we die, we go to heaven. We want our children to have faithful ministers of the gospel. Why? Because the only way you can beat down your adversary, the devil, is the same way that Jesus beat him down. And that's with the word of the Lord. And by the way, in the mouth of Jesus, those words did not come from Corinthians or Galatians or Luke. They came from the prophets, and from the law. And Jesus disarmed. And Paul, when he's preaching, there is no New Testament written yet. When he's preaching, he says, we disarm, we overcome the powers of evil. How? Through our use of the scripture. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The shield of faith. Where did he get that? He got all of that from the Old Testament. You literally rip off the devil his power. That's what that whole word deliverance is all about. You rip it off the enemy. You defeat him. You overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, which is founded on the word of God. That's reality. But to do this kind of work, we need pastors and preachers and teachers and missionaries that are equipped with the word of God. Not everybody can do what I get the privilege of doing every morning of the week. And that's spending several hours in focused prayer and study of the Word of God to pastor this congregation. I know not everybody can do that. But my prayer is that everybody that I pastor or everybody that I have influence can be thoroughly equipped so that they can defeat the devil when he comes against them because they've been equipped with the Word of the Lord. That's my prayer. If I accomplish that, then... I can die successfully and I can die peacefully. 
part of my challenge as well is to be able to mentor others so that they can know what the Word says and preach it and believe it themselves. The second thing then God wants me to love is to love mercy. And I love the fact that he says, love mercy. Have you ever been merciful but you weren't happy about it? Remember Jonah was not happy? Remember that? God, this is why I did what I did. Can you imagine if I said, God, I hate Yankees. I want them all to go to hell. This is what they did to my family down south. What if I, you know, if that had been my opinion, you know, you'd say, you're not a Christian. Of course I wouldn't be a Christian because I allowed that hatred. That's what Dr. Cho was dealing with. And of course, there was nothing like that in my heart. But I can understand Cho because you've got to remember my grandfather was born before the Civil War. He was a teenager during the Civil War. So those stories are firsthand that came down to us. You can imagine some of the, the bitterness that especially Sherman's march through Georgia. But God wants me to love mercy. One of my favorite preachers from the last generation was A.W. Tozier. Tozier said, mercy is not something God has. Mercy is something God is. Therefore, mercy is unlimited, boundless, and infinite. Unlimited, boundless, and infinite, because that's what God is. God is mercy. You see, I forget who said it, but I, somewhere I read this quote years ago. They, they said this. Now, this, this is going to be humbling for us as a church. They said, if anything convinces me of the mercy of God, it's the fact that there's still a church on the planet. What were they saying? Because the church has had so many sins and failures of its own. If there's anything that convinces me of the mercy of God is the fact that I'm still alive and breathing tonight and able to preach this message. I think it's so important that we understand the prophets. And then finally, God wants me to walk humbly with him. God wants me to walk humbly with him. Humility was something I struggled with. Not that I was filled with pride, but to me, the humility that I tried to practice when I was younger was a feigned humility, was a fake humility, because I was constantly denying the gifts and the strengths and the talents that God had gave me. Humility is not denying what God has blessed you with. Humility is using what God has blessed you with to glorify God with. The truth is, if you really want to know what humility is, Humility is remembering we are created and God is uncreated. We are growing. God has had no growth. We understand the difference between light and darkness, but in Christ, there's only light. We understand death and decay, but in Christ, there is no death and decay. You see, humility is realizing no matter how big we build our buildings, no matter how far we take our spaceships, no matter what our technology accomplishes, humility says to me, we are still nothing but dust inhabited by the very breath of God. And so God wants me to walk humbly with him. What does that do? That means then that I end up saying yes to God. I just say yes to the Lord. That, that's it. Humility is a child that loves to delight its mom or dad and says yes because they want to please them. They trust them, 
and they want to please them. Humility is seen in, you know, if you have a dog. We used to have a dog. And when I'd come home, that dog would just go silly, crazy, beating his tail on the floor, jumping up and down, wanting to love you and wanting you to love it. That was humility, you know. He had everything he needed, but he was glad when I got home or when Becky, he was more glad when Becky got home. Humility is you and I saying, I delight to do your will, O Lord. I delight to do good, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you and with one another in Christ. That's why we need the prophets. You say, can we learn that from Jesus? Yeah, you can learn that from Jesus. But the prophets will help you to see and to love the cross that much more. I love you so much. Let me have a word of prayer with you. I've gone just a little long again this Wednesday night, but I hope you've been able to profit from this, and I hope that you will take time this year. You know, don't even try to read through them all at one time if you've never read them. Just take a good modern translation of the Bible, like the New Living Translation or the Message Translation, and just sit down and make notes and ask questions by the way, you know, I tell everybody this I know. If you want a good, just basic Bible, get a message translation and read the introduction that Peterson writes to each book of the Bible. There's some of the best synopsis. Is that a word, proper word? Synopsis of the books of the Bible that I know of. So try that, and I think you'll really enjoy reading through the prophets. You might go through the belt line, but you'll come out glad that you did. Let me pray with you. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for your goodness to us, and we thank you for the voice of the prophets that we need today, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us tonight.